Welcome back. You're listening to Abortion with Love, the podcast that's all about abortion. On today's episode, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with Jessica, a friend of mine who is currently living in Texas and working with abortion advocacy there. And I invited them on the podcast because I've been thinking a lot about work-life boundaries and especially when you work with something that requires a lot of emotional labor and is also on a topic that you're really passionate about and you're really invested in and where there's also a lot of pushback against um, and how you kind of take breaks from this work and not let it uh, affect your personal life too much. And I know that these are things that Jess thinks about as well. So I asked them if they wanted to be on the podcast and luckily for me, they, they agreed. So Um, This episode has a lot of parallels with the last one where I talked to um, Daniela about activist heartbreak and nurturing our communities and taking care of each other and creating a sustainable movement. Um, We cover very similar themes in this episode. So if you liked the last episode, um, I think you're going to really like this one. But if that wasn't your jam, then maybe this isn't for you. So on this episode, Jess starts off with telling us a little bit about the Texas abortion ban, also known as Senate Bill 8 or SB 8, and the implications that this bill has, not just to abortion seekers, but also to just anyone who in any way helps someone get an abortion. Um, And then we go on to talk about working in the nonprofit sector, finding a job that aligns with your values, and sometimes having to compromise those values in order to get a job and get paid. We then talk about um, having to tell strangers um, about your work and navigating those situations when you don't really know how or what their um, stance is on abortion and figuring out how much you want to reveal about what you do. And then we finish off talking about preserving your energy and the type of boundaries that we should have around our work and our time and our personal life. Um, yeah, so here's another wholesome episode that I guess is aimed more towards those of you who are working with reproductive justice or are part of, you know, any justice movement or doing work that requires a lot of emotional energy. Um, yeah, a reminder that Jess is an individual person with their individual opinions and experiences around abortion, which they are very much entitled to. Uh, some things they say may resonate with you and some things may not, and that's totally okay. But anyways, I hope that this episode gets you thinking about these topics, and I really encourage you to continue this conversation with your own communities. All right, let's go. Hi, my name is Camilla, and this is Abortion with Love, a podcast dedicated to reclaiming the ways that we talk about abortion. I, yeah, I, I think that abortion. it takes the village when it brings people closer, and at the very least, all right we are rolling hello jess hey camila <laughs> nice to see you again always a joy <laughs> so jess and i are friends from a little while back we both went on exchange to peru and we took a course together a couple courses together um, one of them being this master's level course. I remember feeling very cool that I was taking a master's level course on gender. <laughs> I was just barely hanging on to being able to understand the Spanish. <laughs> I was just crawling along. But we did it. <laughs> and um, we both came from being very passionate about gender and uh, social justice 
Um, and we both ended up working in abortion. And so I wanted you to come onto the podcast to have a conversation with me about working with abortion and this kind of journey from it being a just personal interest to then turning into a career. So how about we start with you giving us a little introduction about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Jess. Um, I use she and they pronouns. I work for an abortion advocacy organization called Avow. We're located in Texas. We do statewide work. And just as a human being, I love plants. I love queer young adult fantasy. Really love astrology. Um, and and I've been cooking a lot more during the pandemic. Nice. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Amazing. And you had really badass bleached eyebrows during the pandemic, I have to say. Oh, yeah. I bleached my eyebrows. Yeah, I had to let them grow back in because I was visiting my mom and she hated them so much. (laughs) (laughs) She hated them. Yeah. She was like, I was fine with the tattoos. I was fine with the piercing. I was like, mom, the fact that you have an inventory of the things that I've done makes me feel like you actually weren't fine with those things. But at some point, I'll bleach them back because I want to dye them pink. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it will be. <laughs> okay, so I want to start talking a little bit about what's going on in Texas, because you live there and you work with abortion advocacy there, and you've really been in the midst of everything that's been going on with this new abortion ban. And I thought it would be nice if you could start with explaining a little bit about this new bill that was passed. Yeah, so... SB8 is something that we have been fighting really feels like since the beginning of the year um, as it was moving through the House and the Senate. um, Folks from different abortion advocacy orgs across Texas were going to testify in person um, at the Texas Capitol, which was very dangerous at the time because this was pre-vaccines. Um, and there were no, well, there are no mask mandates in Texas Mm. and many folks at the Capitol actively do not wear masks. Um, so people were really putting their lives on the line to, um, testify against this abortion ban. And unfortunately it did go into effect. Our anti-abortion state leaders, um, chose to prioritize the views of truly a minority of Texans, um, And that's the frustrating part is it gives people the impression that Texas is this huge anti-abortion state. In Mm. reality, the majority of Texans support abortion access either in all cases or most cases. Um, So kind of what we see with our state leadership is a minority of folks with a very extreme view controlling basically the health outcomes for their entire state. Yeah. So basically what SB8 does is it bans abortion after any kind of cardiac activity is detected in the fetus. Um, And this is usually around six weeks. Mm -hmm. So, and when we think about the messaging on this bill, a lot of people refer to it as a quote unquote heartbeat bill. Mm -hmm. Um, But this name is also a misnomer because at this point in pregnancy, the fetus is barely an embryo. There really isn't a heart that's developed. But anti-abortion extremists are using this language around heartbeat um, to play with our emotions and to distort medical reality. And six weeks into your pregnancy is essentially could be two weeks after your missed period. So really, when we ban abortion at six weeks, 
we are pushing abortion completely out of access for the majority of Texans because most people don't even know that they're pregnant at that point. And especially if you're someone who has an inconsistent period, um, who frequently misses periods, you might not even recognize that you're pregnant by that point. So kind of what's been happening is it's forcing the majority of folks who are accessing abortion to travel out of state. Mm -hmm. There's this one organization we work with, an abortion fund called Fund Texas Choice. And I was on a call with them and they were saying prior to SB8, about 30 to 35% of their clients were leaving the state to access abortion. And now that number has jumped to 98%. Wow. I mean, it's a huge burden for people. You have to either travel with your children or find childcare. You have to take additional time off of work. It's, it's just, it's ridiculous what the state has made people go through in order to access abortion. And the reason why SB8 is particularly tricky legally um, is because normally in previous abortion bans in other states, the enforcement mechanism is with the state itself, which is automatically unconstitutional because state law can't trump federal law. But in the case of SB8, the enforcement mechanism is with private citizens. So basically, anyone across the country, any random person can sue someone who they say has helped someone in Texas access an abortion after six weeks. And actually, the language is so broad that even it even says someone with the intent to help oh my God. someone access an abortion after wow. six weeks could be sued wow. for a minimum of ten thousand dollars. Wow! And the person who sued can't recoup those legal fees. So say the the I'm I'm not really good with legal terms, but the person who is doing the suing <laughs> say they lose. Right? Normally, you could recoup those legal fees if yeah. you're like sued. Um, when you weren't supposed to be, once again, please, no lawyers come after me. Um, but in, under this law, you can't recoup those legal fees. So basically, and you could be sued over and over and over again, theoretically. Yeah. So it just, it's ridiculous. This idea that any random person from any state in the U S could just sue you for being a provider this could be if your family member needed an abortion yeah. and you drove them to the clinic, if your friend. So you um, could potentially sue like a an Uber driver because. Yes, you could sue an Uber driver. My you could goodness. even go so far as to sue someone who donated to an abortion fund. Wow. If you could draw that link between their yeah. donation and that abortion. But it's, it's, it's ridiculous in how broad it is. And the idea that private citizens can enforce laws it it has really ridiculous implications for so many different things it just the idea that private citizens are have the power yeah to like act on behalf of the government government, it's ridiculous that's and also just extremely cruel yeah it's so dystopian to think that anyone could potentially be watching you and could potentially sue you yeah, it feels very Black Mirror. And yeah, it just sucks because, well, I mean, it sucks for a bunch of different reasons. But at the same time that SB8 has been going into effect, Texas has been hosting different special sessions. And we kind of had thought that, you know, maybe they would leave abortion alone because they already passed this huge abortion ban. Um, but they have been going really hard these past couple special sessions 
against abortion, against trans kids being able to participate in athletics. Wow. It it just the the depth of the hatefulness is is really astonishing. Yeah. So it's definitely it's been a tough year for abortion advocates in Texas and this month especially has been crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, One thing that comes to mind when I hear about these laws getting passed that seem so arbitrary and so, like, they specifically target abortion seekers is this whole rhetoric around caring for unborn lives and wanting to protect unborn lives. And I'm not here to argue with them, like, if that's someone's opinion, but I just feel like... You know, it would be one thing if these abortion, if these people who were like pushing for abortion bans were the same people who were advocating for, you know, really good health care mm-hmm. and free health care for, you know, pregnant people and um, putting money into social support systems for parents and for children that do exist. And I was reading somewhere um, preparing for this episode that like Texas is one of the states in the U.S. with the worst prenatal health care and mm-hmm. it's like okay mm-hmm. you know if you cared about unborn lives wouldn't that be your priority and it's just yeah it's just so hypocritical mm-hmm. like where's the care for pregnant people and where's the care for those who are parents and those children that do exist what you're saying is reminding me of this quote that I kept seeing a lot of people were posting after the abortion ban went into effect, mm-hmm. it's this quote by someone named Pastor Dave Barnhart. But mm-hmm. he goes, the unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for. They never make demands of you. They're morally uncomplicated. Unlike the incarcerated, addicted, or the chronically poor, they don't resent your contention or complain that you're not politically correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes on to say, you can love the unborn and advocate for them without substantially challenging your own wealth, power, privilege, without reimagining social structures, apologizing, or making reparations to anyone. They are, in short, the perfect people to love if you want to claim you love Jesus, but actually dislike people who breathe. Wow. Yeah, yeah and really I, I think it's the perfect way of describing the way that this anti-abortion rhetoric functions in Texas. Because lawmakers, typically conservative, but, you know, there's no guarantee that lawmakers who are Democrats will be on our side either. Mm -hmm. But the lawmakers who are pushing these extreme anti-abortion bills do it for clout, essentially. They do it for evangelical clout. They do it for clout within their base. Um, Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is exactly right, that you know, we have the highest rate of maternal mortality in the country. Um, Texas has one of the highest rates of uninsured people in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, in North Texas, where I live, I want to say North Texas has the highest rate of uninsured folks in the whole state. I'm thinking about the pandemic. There were no mask mandates. The, the state government has actually actively tried to prevent people from enforcing masks. Um, there's no mask mandates. There's no expansion of health care. I'm thinking about the freeze that happened in our state at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of Texans died from that, from complete state oversight, because 
our state wanted to have this privatized energy grid. Yeah. And they did nothing to address that during ledge session. You know what they did do is they banned abortion and they spent a lot of time trying to argue that trans kids should not be able to participate in sports teams that correspond to their gender identity. My goodness, that's so wild. So, yeah, when when you talk about these abortion bans and this kind of moral language around, you know, heartbeat bill, we're just protecting the unborn, they do it because they're a completely uncomplicated entity. Just like that quote was saying, the unborn don't make demands of you. The unborn don't necessitate you challenging your wealth or your power or your position in society. But you know what does is fixing an energy grid. You know, what does is expanding Medicaid for people in your yeah. state. You know, what does is addressing black maternal mortality in our state. And they're not willing to do not not only are they not willing to do that, they actively harm those populations instead. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's a really, really frustrating and cruel contradiction. Yeah. And the audacity that they are using, like choice language around the masks to i saw some like oh protests absolutely and, like my body my choice like i don't, <laughs> don't want to wear a mask like, all right <laughs> I, uh, just the we we live in a society when i tell you it's like black mirror i just you're not cannot. kidding i did see no like yeah like i saw this tweet from i think it's from greg abbott or somebody who's like about the mask he's like yeah my, it's it's your choice like it's your body you get to decide i was like I need to bury my head in my sa- in the sand because the fact that you're saying that right on the heels of banning abortion, yeah, I, I I just don't even know what to do. Yeah. I, I, there's no way to respond to that. There's no way to respond. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about what it's like to work with an issue that is also so close to your heart because um, – from what I know of you, you care a lot about this topic and it's, you know, mm. uh, a personal drive that leads you to do this work. And I mean, I think everyone who works within reproductive justice and perhaps all social justice issues have to care a lot about these issues. Um, and we do this work because we have this internal drive yeah. to try to make the world a better place. And, um, you know, you, you go into this work because you already have an interest. And I don't think most people just fall into this work, but rather carve this career for themselves. And so I wanted to talk about having a career that is so intertwined with your personal values and your personal interests. Um, and maybe we can start with um, how you started, you know, working with abortion, and then we could dive into talking about work-life boundaries. Okay, um, let's do it. So in undergrad, I was really interested in sexual and reproductive health. So actually, I guess kind of starting in high school, there was this group in St. Louis where I lived at the local Planned Parenthood called Teen Advocates for Sexual Health. And I remember that was the first time I was in a space where people talked about sex openly. Um, I met people of different gender identities. I learned about gender fluidity and I met people who were trans and it just opened my eyes to the fact that people can exist in so many different ways. And those multitude of identities are so beautiful and it's so freeing to be able to identify as your authentic self. And it 
makes me so sad that that is not the reality for most people in the world. Um, That we're not able to identify authentically with who we are. And not only that, but I think that colonization and white supremacy has robbed us of this like long history and legacy of different identities, Mm -hmm. different gender identities, different sexual identities. Um, It's made it so hard for us to imagine what we could be outside of this white heterosexual cisgendered norm. Yeah. You know, and at the time, you know, when I was in high school, I wasn't thinking about it like that. I was just like, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> I love talking about sex. Yeah. Um, and so when I when I went off to college, um, I really loved being in spaces where people were talking about sex and gender mm-hmm. and identity. Um, so I got really involved in the Women in LGBT Center. I started planning events around sex education around um, sexual assault advocacy, around menstrual health. And I wasn't doing any of that with the thought that, oh, organizing around these issues could turn into my career um, or something that someone is actually paying me to do. (laughs) I didn't know that that was an option. I was just like, I guess I'm just going to get this liberal arts degree and see what happens. So. You know, that kind of is what happened. I graduated and I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. And I had never, abortion had actually never been in my main advocacy realm. Um, And when I think about my interview for this position that I have now, I cringe to think how I probably (laughs) was like, women's healthcare, women need (laughs) access to abortion, you know, all this language where I'm like, now I know that we use gender neutral language because all people need access to abortion. And, you know, it's stigmatizing when you refer um, to abortion care as women's healthcare. But at the time, I was just so excited to so excited about the possibility of education and advocacy around abortion and really around, because when we talk about abortion, it's so much more than just abortion, right? It's, it's a conversation around pleasure. It's a conversation around agency. It's a conversation around, um, we should be able to have sex for fun. We should be able to have sex for reasons completely unrelated to reproduction. Yeah. And really the reason why I choose to have sex is none of your business. It's none (laughs) of anybody's business. Um, So I I love working in abortion because, yes, we're talking about healthcare access. Yes, we're talking about political advocacy. But it also relates to these deeper conversations around pleasure, agency, and care, community. You know, the care that goes into helping um, a loved one access abortion in caring for someone's kids as they go to their appointment. Mm-hmm. And bringing your friend a care package after their procedure, there's a lot of love that goes into abortion. Definitely, and all of that is beautiful. And I'm, I'm just really, I'm grateful that I get to experience it, and that someone wanted to pay me to do this work. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> I feel so grateful for that. Oh man, what what does that feel like? <laughs> um, and how does it feel to be paid to do this work? Because now. You also, I guess, represent and, or at least during your working hours, you represent an organization. And I wanted to ask if you ever feel like you have to compromise um, 
some of your own values because someone else is paying you to do this work? No, I feel really, really lucky to work for Avow. It is very values driven. Um, there are some abortion advocacy organizations that it would be very hard to work for, I mm -hmm. think, because they don't champion using progressive language. Yeah. They, you know, there, there is a definite legacy of white supremacy within repro. And there are many orgs that are not working to actively challenge that. Mm -hmm. I think working for orgs like that would, would be a struggle and would force me to compromise my values. Mm -hmm. Um, which is not to say that a vow is perfect because I don't think that any nonprofit yeah. is perfect, yeah, right? Yes. You're, you're working within a system in which you only exist because there is struggle and because there is yeah. inequity. Yeah. Um, you know, our liberation is not going to come through the nonprofit structure. <laughs> no, um, that being said, a vow is extremely, our, you know, our tagline is unapologetic abortion advocacy. We're mm -hmm. very abortion out loud. And we're very unapologetic about using gender neutral language, about trying to, yeah, trying to call out inequity where we see it. Yeah, I, I think that the tagline of being abortion out loud kind of just sums it up. Yeah. Yeah, I've worked with large international organizations before that are a lot more... Like they really stick to the book and there's things that you can and you cannot say and there's a lot of bureaucracy and um, they don't really, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like when I've worked for them, I've tried to push for being more unapologetic right. and be more radical in our language yeah, and like more intersectional in our strategies and stuff. But there seems to be a lot of resistance to that and, you know, there's also – the way that a lot of these organizations are run that I don't necessarily stand for, oh gosh, like yeah. that they work on projects that only last a couple of years and aren't really sustainable and don't really consider the opinions and needs of the people that are trying to serve, but, you know, are really top down yeah. and impose projects on communities. And like, yeah, we could also go into a whole conversation around donors and having to please donors. And I feel like, working for nonprofits in that way can be really disillusioning and I'm realizing that I'm less willing to compromise and work for organizations that I don't really stand for. And of course, sometimes you don't have a choice. I mean, you need a job right. and Capital of course there's also a lot of value in doing that work too. And it's maybe better than another job where your values mm -hmm. are even more compromised. But I feel like now I'm kind of in the position of having more freedom or maybe, maybe I'm just more strict <laughs> with that I won't lower my my standards for a job that I don't stand for. But also since starting this podcast, I've really had to figure out who are the guests that I want to have on and like to what extent, like how big can that gap be between our values? Yeah. Um, I've had people who approach me wanting to be on the podcast and they work for organizations that I don't necessarily – share the same values towards and I have this real dilemma of you know whether to have them on the podcast anyway because at the end of the day if they are increasing access to abortion and making information around abortion more accessible then should I really be standing in their way or should I be uplifting their work and 
I, I still don't know the answer to that. I've definitely had some guests on the podcast. I'm not going to say who they are, but I've definitely had guests where I've, you know, questioned their work and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. They who shall not be named. It's, and it's hard too, because like just thinking about the gendered language, Yeah, you know, we used to be part of a, a national organization who shall not be named. And we had to sit through this presentation on why they recommended to continue using gendered language. Um, So referring to women only when accessing, when talking about abortion access, because people just weren't ready to hear gender neutral language. And it's frustrating because to me, the, and I think to all of my colleagues that have vowed, the pushback is so obvious of like, then educate people, yeah. especially if you're a national org or, you know, I'm sure some of the orgs you're familiar with, like potentially multinational yeah. orgs, um, you have the reach to do that education and give people credit, you know? Yeah, there are many people, like I'm thinking about my mom, for example, when I first started working in abortion access. Yeah. She was using gendered language as well. And I had to sit her down and have that conversation. And in fact, I had to have that conversation multiple times. But now she gets it. Yeah. And, you know, she wasn't holding on to it because she um, didn't support people from different gender identities. Yeah. She just had never had anyone explain this. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of women and people who have abortions. And it's like, yeah, is that really better? Is that really better? Yeah. <laughs> you could literally just say people. <laughs> people and it's like yeah i don't know it's like k women and people who have abortions it's not like i feel like the women and people thing is like when you start to say women and then you forget that it's not gender neutral (laughs) so you're like oh women and people because women are not people so they could not be in the same yeah yeah, we could never put them in the same bucket uh yeah um I wanted to go back to what you were saying before about what's going on in Texas and you mentioning that it's been such a difficult period for you and your colleagues and your abortion community in Texas. And Mm -hmm. of course, it's been a really hard time and very disillusioning when you've been fighting so hard and you just keep getting your heart broken over and over again. Um, So how do you deal with that when this is something you're also passionate about in your personal life? Like, it's not like you can just turn off your computer at the end of the day and be like, okay, now I'm going home to my family and I'm not going to care about this anymore. Um, Like, this work really stays with you when you go home, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's part of your life and your value system. I honestly, I think my friends will laugh if they hear this because it feels like I'm always talking about abortion, but I do try to talk about abortion as little as possible because I'm, you know, all my friends are going to cackle. They're like, Jessica, you literally bring it up at least five times a day. Um, (laughs) But I, I really try not to have those conversations with people who don't feel safe to me. Yeah. So for example, like if someone asks me what I do for work, I just say I work for a nonprofit or yeah. a reproductive rights nonprofit because frankly, I don't want to get into it. I don't, I yeah. really don't want to hear their opinions and their yeah. thoughts and their, um, I, yeah, I just, I don't want to hear it 
because already for work, we're talking about it all the time. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, your question is a good one because I really haven't found an answer to that. I think one small thing I'm trying to do is when people ask me what I do, answering more along the lines of the kind of person I am or the hobbies that I like to have. Um, I think so often the U.S. is so work-centered and so aggressively productivity-oriented that we end up having conversations around work that we really don't need to have. (laughs) You know, if I'm in a social setting, I really don't want to know what you do for work. I am more interested in what kind of person you are or what kind of hobbies you have. Do we have anything in common? So I think recognizing that abortion access is a big part of my life. Yeah. And at the same time, my work is not my whole life. Yeah. I I really struggle with that because, well, this podcast, I kind of turn into my work. And mm. I mean, it's unpaid. But, uh, <laughs> Love those. And it's also a hobby. And it's something that I do in my personal time. And it's a really important part of my life. And it really has taken up a big part of my life in the last year. So when I meet new people and well, I guess I haven't met a lot of new people because it's been a pandemic, but the few people that I have seen and they've asked me what I've been doing over this past year. I mean, the only thing I've done in this past year, besides also learning how to make sourdough bread, like (gasps) everyone else is start a podcast. Massive, massive accomplishment. (laughs) It is so freaking hard. (laughs) You're like basically keeping a life for it's like having a pet. I actually have one that's growing now in my kitchen. (laughs) And I'm like, this interview cannot last more than one hour because I have to fold. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Not not that important. Kidding, but also but it like literally is a pet. That's a huge that's a huge accomplishment. Honestly, you don't even need to tell people about the podcast. You can just say the sourdough. (laughs) People are gonna be so impressed. They're like, there's a big gap in your C V for the past year. (laughs) (laughs) Sourdough bread. (laughs) But you haven't tried my sourdough. (laughs) Ah, no, but I tell people that I started a podcast Mm -hmm. and there's just no other way to explain this podcast than saying that it's a podcast about abortion. And I feel like, you know, it's one thing to tell people, Mm -hmm. you know, I work for a reproductive rights organization, or like I did my master's in gender studies, and I wrote my thesis about abortion. But like, I'm dedicating a whole freaking podcast about abortion. And there's no way around talking about that. Yeah, I mean, with creating a podcast in your own time for no other reason or incentive than, you know, personal drive, people can immediately tell that I love abortions and mm-hmm. people are always really surprised mm-hmm. and always have an opinion. And I feel like there's very f- few other jobs where people feel so entitled to share their opinion. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'd ever have the guts to tell someone who's like working for a petrol company, for example, that like I'm strongly against the work that they do, you know, but people always feel like telling me their opinions about abortion and, I and then I have to deal with their emotions. See, I, that's that's what I hate. And that's what I feel like I refuse to do anymore is deal with other people's emotions around abortion. Yeah. And that being said, I think it's a really great way to introduce the idea of being pro-abortion yeah because so many people are used to talking about abortion with this language of well nobody likes abortion or this like safe legal and rare 
Yeah, or like if you get one abortion, it's okay, but more than that is not okay. Um, People are so used to that framework when we talk about abortion that I think it can be really surprising when they're confronted with someone who is abortion out loud, who is pro-abortion even. People don't know how to wrap their minds around that. Yeah. Um, Because they aren't having the conversations that we're having. But hopefully with your podcast, they will be exposed (laughs) to these conversations. We'll see. I also work at a restaurant and we have a few regulars that have asked what I do when I'm not working at the restaurant. And I'm always like, I have an abortion podcast. And I'm like forcing all these people who just want to eat their dinner to like subscribe to my podcast and listen to abortion conversations. And then, you know, at the end, they're like, can we have a check, please? And I'm like, I've written my Insta handle at the bottom so you can listen. Oh my god, I love that. Honestly, I feel like anyone who wants to eat in peace should be forced to listen to a conversation about <laughs> abortion access and being abortion out loud. When I'm president, that's that's going to be my mandate. That's Amazing. my executive order. I'll vote for you. <laughs> um, yeah, but I feel like, you know, to strangers, I really don't have a problem with saying that I work for abortion. And I've yeah. noticed that recently because... You know, of course, with my friends, I know that they support abortion. And with strangers, I really don't care what they think. And I never have to talk to them again. But Mm -hmm. recently, I had this experience because I was hanging out with new people who I didn't really know or like they were friends of friends. And they were asking me about my life. And I feel like I was really hesitating because I didn't know what their stance was. And with one of the people that I was sitting with, I knew that they were really religious Mm -hmm. and... Not that that has anything to do with whether or not they support abortion, but I really noticed that I was getting self-conscious. And when they asked me what I work with, I was just like, mm, I work with reproductive rights. And suddenly I got, you know, very shy and quiet. Yeah. And yeah. afterwards I felt kind of guilty or like, you know, ashamed of being self-conscious. Mm-hmm. And I guess the reason that I didn't want to share was because I didn't want to create any tension in this social Mm -hmm. environment and I knew that it wouldn't only affect you know that person and myself but also the whole group and yeah I just feel like it's so much harder with people that you could potentially become friends with or like our family or like people who are in closer proximity to you and it puts you in a tough position too because you care a lot about abortion access and so when you say something like oh I work in reproductive rights it can feel like I'm not being as strong of an advocate as I should be. Yeah, and exactly. so then you, you know, you end up kicking yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think the constant battle of working in advocacy is the the reminder to protect your energy yeah. no matter what. Like, yes, you can be an abortion advocate and also protect your energy. Yeah. But it's hard. And do you have experiences like that with like friends or family that, you know, don't support abortion? Definitely. I mean, you know, I, um, I had to talk to my mom a lot about using gender neutral language, still working on they and them pronouns for her. She's still stuck on the, it's not grammatically correct (laughs) thing. I'm like, mom, language does not, since when do you care about grammar so much? You have never cared about grammar so much in your life. <laughs> so, you know, conversations like that can be tricky or or um, my mom and a family friend hopped on one of my Let's Talk About Abortion trainings. Cool. And I was talking to them about it after. And um, we have an abortion storyteller who usually joins those trainings. 
and she's had multiple abortions. Mm -hmm. And for my mom and our family friend, that was really hard for them to wrap their minds around the idea of someone talking openly um, about their experience having multiple abortions. And I think now they feel more comfortable with it. But Mm -hmm. and it was hard for me too to listen to them talk about the stigma that they hold. Yeah, because it's like you raised me. How is, you know you shouldn't have these. Yeah. You shouldn't have these views. Um, so sometimes I think it can be harder around family because if it was a stranger, I would be like, okay, yeah, you're learning and growing. But with my mom, I'm like, you need to do better. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. So, but luckily, my my mom and my dad are both pretty supportive, and. Yeah, I I don't, my extended family, you know, sometimes I talk about it and I, sometimes my family's receptive and sometimes they aren't. But I think those are definitely moments where I go into protecting my energy mode, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, you know what, if they start to say something stigmatizing, I'm going to respond to it and then change the subject because I don't, it's too, it's too, sometimes I have the energy, but most of the time I don't. Yeah. And that's okay. I do what I can. Um, and I know that the, the, the responsibility of everyone's learning is not on my shoulders. No, exactly. I can be a part of their learning journey, but I'm, I'm not going to single-handedly change everyone's yeah, minds. For sure. And that's been a really hard lesson to learn. Yeah. I think it's taken me many years and I'm still in the process of learning. Yeah. No, that's a good goal, but I think we're all still working on that. <laughs> it's hard. It's mm. so hard in advocacy because you care. Like you care with your heart and your soul about these issues. Yeah. And I think we're also really hard on ourselves. Like if we mm. see something that we don't agree with, we feel responsible for calling it out. And like we're always seeing instances of people not being held accountable for the shit that yeah. they say. So it almost feels hypocritical to not be the ones that are holding those people accountable in our own lives, you know? Yes. But as you said, we got to save our energy for the fights that matter and for the work that we do. And and that work's already so emotionally charged a lot of the time. I think, too, my organizing has been informed so much by pleasure activism mm-hmm. by Adrienne Marie Brown. Yeah. She talks about how all organizing is science fiction work. You know, you're creating this world that doesn't yet exist, and yeah. you're kind of willing it into being through the power of your imagination. And she talks about how so much of organizing work, we come together through shared struggle or shared pain. And she's like, you know, what if we gathered because of how good it feels to be together in community? Yeah. And that has caused me to make a really big shift in the way I approach organizing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Jessica in the past couple of years has approached organizing from a much angrier perspective. Mm -hmm. And I, that anger is justified, you know, thinking about like the work that I used to do in undergrad around sexual assault advocacy. Yeah. That is work that makes you angry. It brings out a deep sense of hurt um, and pain, but it's also a, a way of approaching organizing that led to me burning out and having a a really terrible breakdown, essentially. So I'm trying to learn how to engage in organizing from a perspective of community care. Like instead of hosting a rally, can we host a meditation circle? Or can we (laughs) 
like bring in a practitioner to teach us how to make a tea blend yeah. or like a, a candle or a tincture yeah. or just like, can we make crafts together? I, I think that when people think of organizing, they think of rallies and they think of protests. And while those are definitely part of organizing, mm-hmm. it's not all that organizing has to offer. And I think when yeah. we dip into our imaginations, we see that organizing just means bringing people together in community and community can exist in so many different ways. Yeah. And I think that as a movement, that's also how we get stronger. Um, In the last episode with Daniela, who has been an abortion activist for a long time, we talked about activist heartbreak and Mm. she talked a lot about how so many activists experience burnout because this is such emotional work and it's such heartbreaking work. And how we need to start talking to our elders who have been doing this work for so many years. And we need to ask them for advice and for support. And we need to be in community with them. And we also need to be preparing those coming into the movement Mm -hmm. and preparing them for the heartbreak that they're going to experience. And um, something I've also been thinking a lot about is how a lot of activist work is so reactive and like, it's so focused on organizing around an opposition rather than using that energy to be building community. Um, and of course, like we need to be realistic and uh, it's also really important to have those rallies and to write those letters and, you know, yeah. But I think it's also equally important to invest time and energy into our own communities and sharing knowledge and resources and doing creative, fun, pleasurable things and taking care of our hearts Mm -hmm. because without that, we really cannot have a sustainable movement. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think this abortion ban has made me think a lot about that in terms of the work that we're doing, the work that I say yes to, um, the work that I say no to, I think, (laughs) the fallout from this abortion ban has meant that I said no to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And that actually has felt really good. It's felt good to acknowledge the fact that I would really love to do this thing. This may be a great opportunity. And also I simply do not have the energy, nor do I think that myself or any other person in this movement should work to capacity. I think it's okay to work and still have energy left over to exist as a human in the world, to go spend time with your friends. I just think productivity culture demands that we work until exhaustion. And when you kind of intersect that with advocacy work, it's Mm -hmm. like, you should work to exhaustion because you care about the issue. And yeah, and how much do they take advantage of the fact that like, people will like that's another thing about the nonprofit sector how much they rely on people doing this work out of their own passion and out of their own heart that they're willing to do it for free and they're willing to work over hours and take on extra responsibilities and like in other types of jobs people would just refuse because they'll be like no Mm -hmm. I don't get paid to do that so I won't and right and it and because we care so much and we also have this understanding that you know the sector has is is really understaffed Mm -hmm. and there's really little Mm -hmm. resources to pay people to do this work. So that somehow justifies us working for free or for bad pay or whatever. Absolutely. I think I've been really inspired by Adrian Ray Brown and also the nap ministry account on Instagram and Twitter. 
just the idea. I I love the person who runs that account. I think their mind is beautiful and massive. But just the idea that of rest as a radical practice, it's definitely reframed the way that I think about the way I move through the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, doing this work, there is such a tight knit community of abortion advocates in Texas that, you know, I think of the people who I work with and I'm like, I don't want them to work to exhaustion. No, of course. I want them to have energy to go on a walk with their dog or to (laughs) like go read a book that they really love or, or just sit on the couch and do nothing. I I don't want that. I don't want exhaustion for any of us. I don't want burnout for any of us. I want love and I want community. And because I'm in this position of having the financial security to be able to explore that and the job security to be able to explore that, I want to explore it to its fullest and really cement these values now at the beginning of my working career, because there's no guarantee that I'm forever going to be working for an organization that values me as a human being, Mm -hmm. which is the sad and unfortunate truth of working under capitalism (laughs) but i think we're you know we're fighting for a world where we all are valued as human beings in any in any job that we're in um i don't know it's tricky but i feel like spaces like this make me happy and they help fill my cup again you know i'm glad to hear that i feel the same and that's why this doesn't really feel like work i mean Mm. There was a time where it did really feel like work and that's when I got this restaurant job and I was getting so busy and overworked Mm. and I started dreading every episode because I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to produce a new Mm. episode like every two weeks. And I mean, I don't even know who do I think I am. Like, I don't even think any of my listeners would actually care if I didn't release them on time. And I'm like, ooh, I have one million gazillion listeners and they would all be so disappointed if I didn't release this episode on time. They are all depending on me. (laughs) But yeah, I really put a lot of pressure on myself to keep producing content. And so I realized when I was approaching like 20 episodes and I was like, okay, I need a break and see how I feel. And I I wasn't sure I was even going to do a new season. Um, but, you know, having been able to take a break and not think about abortions for a while, not think about the podcast, I actually started to get excited again towards the end of summer and and that's yeah. been really nice to just be enjoying this process again. And yeah. And what's also been like a really important thing for me for this podcast is that I'm not creating this podcast for people who, who don't care about abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it would be amazing if they listened to it. And if I yeah. could plant some seeds in their minds about why they should be supporting abortion, that would be great. But I think there's enough, maybe not enough, there's never enough, but there's a lot of educational resources out there that do explain why abortion should be legal and why it's a human right and why you should be supporting abortion. And, you know, there is a lot of information already educating about abortion that I don't really feel the need to do that. And there's just not enough spaces for those already educated about abortion where like people who are in the movement can discuss and talk about their struggles and learn from each other and get inspired by other projects that are happening. And I think for me, that's why this project has just been really uplifting. And I get a lot of energy during these conversations mm-hmm. because I get inspired and come out of every call mm-hmm. with like ideas that I want to incorporate into my own life and my own work. Um, the other day, a friend told me that she had a friend that is one of these people that 
protests outside of abortion clinic. And she told me that she could put us in touch so that I could interview her. And I was like, why the fuck would I spend an hour of my personal time talking to someone who actively goes outside to clinics to stop people from accessing abortions? Oh, my God. I can't think of anything more draining. And, like, as if there isn't enough spaces out there where anti-abortion rhetoric is being shared. And I was like... Nah, right. This isn't the space no, for that. This is not the one. No, and and you're so right about creating a space where people who are pro-abortion can go to talk and listen to other people who are also pro-abortion. Yeah. We need more spaces like that. Yeah. Um. And what you were saying about this kind of expectation you put on yourself around you have to release an episode every two weeks. To me, that goes back to imagination and how so much of capitalism is like regulating production right like things have to happen in this particular way and when we oh god I was gonna say when we break free from that but I don't even know if it's possible to break free from capitalism but when we give ourselves the space to prioritize our own rest to imagine other possibilities it's it's like sometimes the answers can be so clear it's like oh I actually don't have to produce an episode every two weeks yeah and then your life just becomes so much better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I think this time around I'm giving myself a little bit more freedom good. to just, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Maybe it's good to have a little bit of a schedule, but also for context, there's like really not that many people listening to this podcast, so I really don't think there's pressure. It's the pressure really is self-imposed. <laughs> <laughs> Also, wait, when when you were talking, it made me wonder, what is your um, zodiac sign, your like star sign? So I'm an Aquarius sun mm-hmm. and a Sagittarius moon. Uh-huh. And I can't remember my rising sign. I have to check my co-star. Oh, that's fun. I like that mix. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I don't really know so much about astrology. Astrology. Astronomy? I always get the two mixed up. Astrology, astrology. Actually, you know what was cool was um, Spark, Reproductive Justice. I think it was, was it Sister Song who put on that conference. Um, someone had a presentation on the intersections between reproductive justice and astrology. Oh my God. And kind cool. of it was going back to this idea of like imagining new futures and like, I don't know, using the stars to, to think through different possibilities of That's like amazing. what our world could be. It was incredible. That sounds so cool. Um, okay, I just checked, and I am a Gemini rising, too. <laughs> oh, that's why you're so fun and creative. <laughs> Is that why? Such a fun, creative line. <laughs> yeah, that's single-handedly the reason. That's, that's it. <laughs> We've cracked the code. Yeah. I used to really resonate with being an Aquarius until I started reading Aquarius memes. <laughs> and then I was just like, no, this just isn't me. And then I started to see the like Sagittarius memes and kind of feel more identified to those. <laughs> I feel like the memes are brutal. Like I'm, yes. I'm a cancer and every cancer meme that's ever been created is just about how cancers are always crying. And I'm like, <laughs> I am I am always in my feelings, but I'm not always crying. Yeah. Oh, but I do love those memes. Mm, They're so good. (laughs) All right, Jess, I have one final question for you. Um, And that is, what does love and abortion have to do with each other? 
Oh, I love this question. Oh, I feel like abortion is love. It's an act of love for yourself, for your future, for your family, however you want that to look. Whether it's recognizing that you want to focus on the children you already have, whether it's recognizing that you don't want children, Mm -hmm. maybe that you want children later on, that you're just not sure. The fact that you have that autonomy in your own hands, I think is a beautiful thing. And abortion is an act of love in the community care that it generates. You know, someone might, you know, a friend of yours might come over to make you a meal after your procedure. Your partner might drive you to the clinic. Um, Your parents might take care of your kids. I, I think that it takes a village and it brings people closer. And at the very least, it's, it's an act of love for yourself and for your future, however you want that future to look. Yeah. That was very beautifully put. Like I said, I'm a cancer, so I'm always in my feelings. <laughs> I can talk about love and community care for days. All right. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I know that that was a long episode, but I hope you felt it was worthwhile. Um, Did any of this resonate with you? I've been thinking a lot about these things and also kind of struggling with preserving my energy and balancing, you know, being really abortion out loud and kind of encouraging people to talk about abortion in all my social circles um, while also recognizing that I'm not responsible for other people's learning and I can choose to not talk about abortion in my free time. Um, How do you navigate this? I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Also, if you want to support abortion seekers in Texas, you can check out the website needabortion.org, which has really useful information about how to get an abortion in Texas, as well as a list of all the different abortion funds in Texas. Um, Or you can also donate to Avow Texas, the organization that Jessica works for, which splits all the donations evenly between all the abortion funds in the state. All right. If you want to reach me, you can check out my website, abortionwithlove.com, or find me on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you hear, perhaps subscribe or even write a review. I'd really appreciate it. Okay, that's it for me. Hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you are and that you're preserving your energy and practicing healthy boundaries around your work. Until next time. Yeah, I think, I, I think that it is a village love for you to bring her and at the very least, it's a new one to be love for yourself.